This podcast is a proud member of the That Moment In Podcast Network. Check out the network at thatmomentin.com. Hello and welcome to episode 14 of the Asian Cinema Film Club. I'm your host as always, Elwood Jones, and joining me, of course, is my co-host and partner in crime, Mr. Stephen Palmer. Hello, everybody. Um, on tonight's show, we're going to be looking at Turtles of Surprisingly Fast Swimmers, a rather unique drama comedy from 2005 uh, from Japanese writer-director Satoshi Miki. Also on tonight's show, we are going to be taking a look at the Third Window film's back catalogue, as well as Stephen will be giving us a more in-depth look at leading lady Juro Yurono. But before we obviously get into that, I mean, Stephen, obviously since the last show, I mean, what's sort of been holding your interest, if anything? Well, actually, for once, I actually have been watching some um, Asian cinema. I feel like I've been letting the side down recently. So, um, for recent kicks... I got presented with King Who's Legend of the Mountain, which is uh, which is kind of ironic after we did our little King Who session in the last episode. Um, so it's a re-release, I think, through Eureka, tarted up, restored to a grand total of three and a half hours. Nice. Which, as anyone who knows me and my 90-minute rule, or 88-minute rule, actually, um, that was that was a struggle. Um, but really fascinating really interesting film i actually really enjoyed it even if i did have to watch it in three parts king who obviously we talked about last time this one was um it's a taiwanese film but filmed in south korea beautiful to look at some on the nose metaphorical stuff going on but basically a, a, a sort of ghost uh, asian ghost story set in uh what i assume is period china even though south korea's going for it and then coming up more to date um the window who seem to going to be our unofficial sponsor this week this month have um have started throwing out some Sion Sono films um including um the whispering star which uh i've literally just finished watching which is a beautiful beautiful black and white art house science fiction film um i won't say much more because i think i'm actually going to get around to reviewing this one but uh quite different to anything else he's done and easily the most beautiful thing he's ever put together although whether people enjoy it or not will um let me say on the back they say it's reminiscent of the films of andrei tarkovsky do i need to say more that's 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 either going to fill you with delight or dread depending on what you what you view as a pleasant cinematic experience really and and if I also tell you, for a, it's a Sion Sono film, and it's rated U, and the only thing that's interesting is scenes of smoking. So <laughs> this is not this is not the uh, the enfant terrible that we've uh, spoken about before. But it's I actually really enjoyed it. But um, it will be an acquired taste. And the nice thing that is, it comes with a second film, a documentary by another filmmaker called uh, Arata Arshima um, called The Sion Sono which is basically, I haven't watched it yet but it's a documentary about Sion Sono and the making of this film so it's a really nice uh, double package um, in fact it's a really good time for sort of classic Asian films um, at the moment um, there's, a, there's a 
criterion of just put or just about in july i think about to put out a version of dragon in ironically after we both recommended it last month <laughs> um uh i've just had a copy of uh the cure the the japanese serial killer classic by kurosawa but not the famous Kurosawa's just about to drop through my letterbox. And there's another Sion Sona film, the one that you and I argue over, uh, Anti-Pornos coming out in the next few weeks as well. So um, lots to pick up, both old and new. Very cool. Um, for myself, a little bit less. I've actually just been on vacation, so I've um, been using it as a chance to catch up on pretty much everything that I got over the Christmas period and of course it's just sat in the watch pile because I've just not had time to watch it so there's been a, a quite a fair bit of western films on there such as like Valerian which I absolutely adored but uh, on the older Asian cinema side of things uh, most importantly I finally got around to watching Shin Godzilla or uh, Godzilla War Room as it's probably best described uh, certainly a unique take on the Godzilla mythos and after the mixed results we got with the more recent uh, Godzilla anime it was certainly a, a more refreshing return to form um, certainly this latest version of Godzilla is many of you being made in response to the latest American adaptation of Godzilla um, certainly in was one of the key aspects of this being the fact that this is now the largest Godzilla committed to film um, certainly something that they made sure to make it bigger than the American one which until uh, this Shin Godzilla came out was uh, the current new reigning champion for the world's largest Godzilla and as you've for regular fans of the series you know that Godzilla has sort of differed in size because you know modern buildings get taller and you really can't have like a skyscraper that's taller than your big monster really at the end of the day but certainly Shin Godzilla which features not only a Godzilla evolution but also large portions set within the war room trying to figure out strategies for defeating this latest incarnation of Godzilla. Um, certainly a unique take and I would say that this probably isn't the one for the newcomers to the series um, and it's probably one of the most sober Godzilla moves we've seen since really way back with the original Gojira. It's been a while since I've seen a, a Godzilla movie so taking such a sober approach and I mean this is taken to account even like the Millennium films and like the darker films of like the uh, 90s which obviously gave us a new Godzilla again so uh but I mean soon you've obviously saw Shin Godzilla way before myself uh having the right links which I obviously didn't have having to wait for the UK release um I mean what did you sort of make of it did you like it do you not like it or I was um let me try to think I was kind of mixed on it there were things about it I really liked certainly the first half is really fast paced I quite enjoyed the war room and the politicking side of things i thought i liked the fact it was rebooting so this is the first time i think the japanese franchises have literally said nothing else has happened this is beginning again i love the use of cgi so this i think this is the first japanese one that's fully cgi but it's made still to look like people in costumes which i like that kind of thing um on the downside i think about two-thirds of the way through the film it literally freezes to a halt and, and and kicks its feet around for a long, long time. And one of the performances of a human actress in it is so bleeping dreadful, it really leaves a bit of a bad taste in the mouth. Do I need to say more? <laughs> 
So, um, but yeah, I mean, it's that's been it was sort of like my main main watch, obviously, other than tonight's selection, um, which is certainly I would say different than anything I've recently watched, um, especially when it comes to Asian cinema, because when we look at Asian cinema, it tends to just fall into the usual sort of categories. It's going to be like. Uh, sort of like an action film or a thriller or it's going to be a horror film we normally you're able to categorize it into one of these um these areas but tonight's selection is obviously one of those bizarre films that i couldn't really sort of find a genre for and i certainly it seems to have become the the sort of calling card for fedwind films who obviously released it as they've sort of found their niche in sort of releasing uh, the sort of films which the other labels haven't sort of picked up because bef- I mean back when we sort of had this revival we had obviously our beloved Tartan sadly no more um, and you had sort of uh, Hong Kong Legends which I believe is now Cine Asia um, and Artificial Eye and now we've got labels such as we've got like Arrow we've got 88 films we've got um, Terracotta and we've also got Fair Winner Films so you've got all these different labels and Somehow they've all managed to take different aspects of Asian cinema so that we've got a wider range of Asian cinema coming across than than we've really seen ever before, unless you were sort of like either tape trading or importing tapes. So I think it's I think now's sort of a, a good a good time to sort of have a look at the the back catalogue for Fair Window Films. I mean soon if we were to obviously do a draft and like pick each pick three films from the back catalogue. What would you say would be your top picks from the Fair Window Films catalogue? Just for people, obviously, if they're looking to look at this catalogue, because I mean it's such a, a variety of films on there. I mean, where's the best place to start if you were to like recommend three films from their catalogue? Well, I'll start just by saying that it's a it's a very interesting and really quite diverse back catalogue. Um, they, they 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 sort of state on the back of the catalogue actually that came with Whispering Star that they they they, they deliberately eschewed horror and action movies, which is why they've got so few Hong Kong and Korean films really, and they've gone more sort of two ways. They've got a couple of directors that they're very keen on, so Takeshi Kitano and um, Shinya Sukamoto are both well represented as is one of my absolute favourites Tetsuya Nakashima now and this will be my my first choice so a long long time ago um, this director not that long ago but he, he made a film called Kamikaze Girls now he'll go on through fun colourful films like Memories of Matsu- Mat- oh, what's it called? Um, Matsuko to make the brilliant but chilling Confessions which is also by Third Window and the horribly depressing and violent World of Kanako which is a film I've watched, seen and really don't know if I hate it or love it but Kamikaze Girls is this glorious uh, um, it's like eating a pound of pick a mix and swilling it down with five liters of coke it's it's sickeningly sweet with whimsical visuals um it's basically about a girl who is the only uh, sort of gothic lolita dresser up in her little town 
and her path crosses with another outlier, sort of a bike girl. Um, and they just have an adventure together, but it's, it's gloriously whimsical. Um, and it's, it's really about very similar to what tonight's film's about, actually. Um, which is why I might be coming back to it later. Um, but yes, Kamikaze Girls, very much recommend. Um, do you want me to pick all three, or did you want to take turns? Oh, we can take turns. Um, the only reason I'm going to say take turns is just because um, I really don't want you to pick my first pick, uh, which is uh, Yoshiro Nakamura's A Fish Story. Um, now, this is a film which is based essentially three stories that intertwine, um, all based around this punk rock song of uh, the title called Fish Story uh, by this band a Japanese punk band called Gekarin um, who basically released the song back in 1975 and we follow how the song makes appearances through different storylines and how it plays through the lives of different characters uh, ultimately leading to how it will save the world from being hit by a meteorite. Um, this is a film which actually takes a sneaky uh, slide dig at uh, Armageddon by referencing the fact that an American drilling team has failed to destroy this meteorite that's currently heading towards the earth um, and just seeing how this film unfolds because when it first started I couldn't get in, couldn't get into it and I'm glad that I stuck with it because when you see the direction this film takes I mean it's got, as I say it's got punk rock elements in it it's got random martial arts sequences uh, there's sci-fi elements to it it's all this mishmash of genres and styles that uh, form this really f fantastic story and it's only when you reach the end that you realise the intricacies of it and see um, just how wonderfully complex and how it all comes together but no I'd say that certainly for my first choice uh, if you're looking for something uh, different it would be Fish Story um, I think that would certainly be a must have uh, for myself uh, but what would you like for your second pick then Stephen? Well, I've never seen Fish Story, so I'm going to I'm going to go and have a look at that before the next episode because that sounds fascinating. <clears throat> My next choice is um is one actually I got turned onto from somebody else reviewing it on Eastern Kicks. Um, it's Kay Morikawa's Makeup Room. Um, it's a low budget, independent film. Um, I think it's not much longer than an hour long, and basically it's like this semi improvised look what happens behind the scene of a Japanese pornography shoot <laughs> where we're at the uh, basically we're in someone's apartment where it's been temporarily set up as a makeup room for the girls and other people to sort of get ready and you're just seeing what's happening in between the shoots and all the all the kind of adventures that are going on but also it's got a semi-dark look on how that lifestyle is affecting people so it's a kind of touching kind of funny occasionally dark drama based around something that probably japan is quite famous for i.e it's rather extreme pornography but without uh, i mean there's boobs in it but there's not much else <laughs> and it, it, it's not a pornographic film but it's a film about pornography and i'd, I'd really suggest people try and hunt that one down yeah, I mean, pornography and Japanese censorship is really a, an interesting subject if you're, a, if you're a fan of censorship in general. Um, the fact that you can't 
show genitalia, despite it being pornography. And this is obviously links into when you look at a lot of the 90s animes, such as things such as Legends of the Fiend, and the use of tentacles, because you can show a tentacle, if, which will quite handily replace a penis. Japanese, cens- Japanese censorship and pornography is certainly uh, an interesting wiki uh, deep dive to do if you have ever got a bored afternoon to do so um yeah that sounds sounds really cool for myself uh second pick still saying on this uh sort of grimy note i'm gonna go for shinya tsukamoto's 2003 release a snake of june uh this is one that i originally saw when it was released by tardom and this was sort of early days again of the revival of interest in in asian cinema and this is one of those films that when you try to explain it, much like any film from Takashi Miike's Outlaw period, um, you end up either sounding like a pervert or someone who likes really random films, which this film is on one hand, but at the same time it's strangely beautiful to look at and uh, even more strangely gripping to watch. And this is uh, a film which uh, follows uh, Rinko, played by uh, Shiro Kurosawa from Co-Fish and Shigoko, who are basically this physically mismatched couple. Um, she's a live beauty. He's an overweight, balding, obsessive, compulsive neurotic. And they are having intimacy issues. Um, now, at the uh, same time, her world, Rinko's world is sort of thrown into confusion and chaos when she receives a package of like candid photographs of herself who are sent to her bizarrely by by character played by the director himself and he basically takes it into this sort of perverse world of sexual exploration um and in many ways sexual awakening for her character and it's shot in what looks to be on first hands like black and white but it's actually with a blue tint to it and this is one that I would say if you're a fan of like early David Lynch movies such as things like Eraserhead then I think you'll really get a kick out of this because it's got some very surreal visuals to it uh, there's a lot of scenes which in many ways don't make a huge amount of sense such as the group of uh, Japanese businessmen wearing funnels over their faces watching a girl supposedly drowning in a large tank yet at the same time are just so strangely fascinating that it makes it hard not to want to check this one out but it makes me all the sort of more pleased the fact that for window films actually picked this one up of all the films from uh just Komoto's back catalogue because he is one of those diversive directors and it's great the fact that they picked up several titles from his back catalogue um and that it's not just been like Tetsuo the Iron Man or sort of like his more uh, sort of body horror based ones um, they've actually gone for for some of his more interesting titles but no a snake of june while perhaps not the easiest title to recommend or explain um is one certainly worth checking if you're feeling uh, a little more brave with your cinematic viewing and if you wanted to do a double bill i'd also suggest katoko which i've talked about before which is another one of his films also available from third window films <laughs> But my final choice isn't that. <laughs> my final choice is the film I picked, I think, four years ago. Eastern Kicks is my film of the year. Um, a film called Shady. Um, another low-budget, 
strange little film. Um, basically, it's a story of an overweight, unpopular girl at school who, by various shenanigans, ends up becoming friends with one of the cute, popular girls. And the dark turn their friendship takes, it's brilliantly acted by basically some unknowns it's 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 in some ways there's there's a, there's almost a subgenre of bullying at school films especially in japan but it's um it's a really unusual it, it, it's low budget but well made brilliantly acted and i'm really glad it's still available so yeah shady there was several choices which obviously stand out to me uh, where I was going to go with Tsukamoto's Bullet Ballet, uh, which is both visually wonderful, or Sion Sono's Antiporno, which I really enjoyed, but Stephen, I don't think you, you liked. No. <laughs> um, which, again, just shows uh, how diverse that some of the uh, titles are in the uh, in the, co- the film window films back home. And that's what I love about this label in particular is the fact that they are putting out such diverse titles. It's not just the obvious... The obvious popular titles are actually giving you like a lot access to a lot of titles that you probably wouldn't have uh, been able to access through other labels. Uh, but the, one of the the title I'm going for my final pick uh, is uh, Sion Sono's Codefish, which is I would say one of uh, if you're looking for an entry point into the world of Sion Sono, I think Codefish is definitely the one to go with. Um, if you're feeling really brave, I mean, you could go for the what four five hour plus uh, love exposure certainly this this one is a little shorter and it uh, basically follows this guy who runs like a small little tropical fish shop and he's being forced out of the market by his flashy rival who basically created the hooters of fish shops um as all his attendants are attracted to young girls who wear skimpy shorts and vest tops and through getting to know the owners of the shop he finds himself soon drawn into a much darker world of body disposal and uh it's really an interesting study of one character's discovering the darkness within himself and um yeah it's a this one's got a fair amount of splatter in it so it's probably not one for you if you're the screamish but uh certainly coldfish is a film which is just fascinating from start to finish and one that just had me completely gripped uh, throughout its runtime. and uh, I think if I was going to if I'm just like picking up those essential titles while there are obviously other t- titles on, on the list that I could I was sort of like going back and forth over whatever I wanted to choose and while perhaps Coldfish is a bit more of an obvious title in the back catalogue from if you compare it to something like um, like Tip's uh, Tips of Quirky Boys and Girls or Fires on the Plane um, or even like Hannah B, B from uh, Beat Takashi um, it's a little more of an obvious title since it's, it's more recent but um, I still really love it enough to, to have it as one of my picks so uh, yeah definitely for my third pick Coldfish would be it Excellent. I mean, there are. I could have picked ten, <laughs> but we have to. But we have to go on. But there are. There are. There are. The Japanese selection is particularly good, um, and the and the Korean selection is actually quite excellent. It's just no. There's no rhyme or reason or theme to it. Okay. It's just. <laughs> it's just a really strange collection of movies, oldish. There's even a classic in there. The um, Peppermint Candies there, which is um, 
a film we should talk about sometime, which is really one of the films from right at the beginning of the Korean wave. Um, but yes, let us stop. Otherwise, this will be a 10-hour long podcast. <laughs> That's cool. Um, as I said, uh, if you are haven't done already, please do uh, hit the uh, like or subscribe button if you're listening to us on Podomatic or iTunes. Uh, we have also recently been added to Spotify as well. Um, so now you can listen to the whole of the ThatMomentIn.com podcast network through Spotify. Uh, if you just look for that moment in, uh we'll come up on Spotify and not only can you listen to every episode of the Asian Cinema Film Club you can listen to back episodes at Cinema Recall, there's some Game Warp episodes on there, you can also listen to the cult TV obsessions of TV Good Sleep Bad, so it's a real variety of shows on there and it's great that uh, the network is now available through Spotify, making it easier than ever to obviously listen to it on the go. So you can uh, f- listen to our complete back catalogue over the blog, which is asiancinemafilmclub.wordpress.com as well. Uh, so plenty of options for obviously interacting with us on the show and uh, helping uh, us get uh, the show a little more recognised out there. But tonight we are obviously looking at Turtles of Surprisingly Fast Swimmers. And Stephen, I mean, this is a film where you're sort of more familiar I'd say with it than myself um, and in particular the leading lady Juro Urano who I believe you mentioned in when we were talking on a previous episode about our favourite leading ladies of Asian cinema um, but I mean what is it about this actress that obviously appeals to you? Okay yeah so um, Juro Urano she's just a really interesting quirky but not outrageously comic actress i'm kind of mainstream maybe in some ways but but in a in a in a sort of quirky offbeat way so she came to prominence both in my eyes in a time shifted kind of way and in um in in reality in 2004's swing girls a film by uh, shinobu yaguchi who director i was lucky enough to meet and he signed my copy of swing girls um she's like this little giddy enthusiastic tale of a ragtag group of school kids who find success through jazz music yes it's one of those films um pretty much repeating what he'd done two years before when a ragtag bunch of schoolboys found success through synchronized swimming in his film water boys but you know it's a it's a subgenre of film um and ueno is fantastic in it and brings together a, a really kind of diverse cast we're still doing them in the West. We just call it Pitch Perfect and things like that. But it's a really <laughs> great film. Um, the following year, she followed up with one of my favourite Japanese films ever, um, the uh, Time Machine comedy, Summer Time Machine Blues, which is a film I'm somehow going to have to get us to discuss because I think it's it's brilliant. She's actually got a minor role in it, but I came to the film through her. She continued being into in TV shows and the odd film, but it's actually in 2006 where she probably cemented her place in Japanese entertainment firmament, where she was um, cast as Megumi in the uh, 2006 adaptation of a of a really popular manga, Nodame Cantabile or Cantabire, as they say in in Japan, which is this sort of 11 episode TV series about this 
sort of strange, messy, they keep telling you she's messy, female, female pianist and an arrogant would-be conductor at a prominent music school, the sort of kind of fantasy schools that they, they like to have in these um, mangas and manga adaptations. Um, it was a huge hit across Asia, um, big enough to spawn a, a TV special a couple of years later and then a two-part movie in more recent times and actually um, was remade as a K-drama, i.e. in 24 parts, starring um, Miss Granny Shin and Kyung, um, only three or four years ago. I mean, she's quite brilliant in it, but it cemented her in the, um, in the Japanese nation's minds and hearts. And she did it again a couple of years later in another TV show called uh, Last Friends, which is a, a little bit dark. I mean, it's another light, frothy-ish um drama but in this one she actually plays a character who's um i don't know should we call it gender dysmorphia she, 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 she she's a girl but um she likes girls but because she thinks she's a man it's kind of complex but um it just kind of shows you the sort of slightly off kilter roles that she's um she's become famous for um for those of you who are interested there is a really brilliant little five-part TV series called um, uh, Ueno Jury to Itsutusu no Kaban, which is terrible Japanese. It means um, Jury Ueno in the five bags. And they're little five, little 25-minute dramas based around five different bags, and she plays five different characters in each one. But it's a real sort of showcase thing, and you don't get that very much that someone's given free reign if you like to to bring something to japanese tv that isn't uh, a series i mean japanese series there's only tend to be 10 to 11 episodes so, so they're probably a little more akin to british drama than say korean drama but that's worth tracking down if you can find it it's one for the uh, online searches and basically she's continued to work ever since then in both cinema and tv bringing it up to date her most recent hit was three or four years ago was um girl in a sunny place which is an adaptation of this phenomenally successful japanese um young adult novel big hit in japan as a film i actually i'm really mixed on it she's great it's got beach boys music in it it's um it plays up and it looks like it's gonna be one of those asian sick girl movies and then the reveal comes and although it is absolutely signposted even down to her character's name i detest the reveal i don't really want to spoil it but as no one's ever going to actually probably find it you're not going to watch it elwood i'm going to spoil it now she's a cat that's been reincarnated as a human being and that that <laughs> fantasy element takes me completely out of the film and if it wants to say there's a romance going on here, it's Shape of Water icky, right? Anyway, that was the most recent thing. Fair she enough. Ha- she hasn't just... Um, but again, quirky, right? And she hasn't just appeared in Japanese stuff, although 99% of her stuff is. A couple of years back, she actually had a tiny little five-minute role in the South Korean film The Beauty Inside, which literally she's on screen for five minutes. She can't speak Korean. She speaks in Japanese, yet she 
will make you cry in those five minutes because it's such a brilliant piece so tonight's film which we'll talk about in a minute i think kind of showcases what she's about it's from fairly early in her career she's quirky and off center but still kind of mainstream you won't find her in a Sion Sona film you won't find her in a takashi mikey film um but she's i guess we'll call her pixie dream girl type won't we but uh, and um we're not the only well i'm not the only person who sort of fallen in love with her um showada from the japanese alt rock band triceratops married her a couple of years ago so i have a suspicion we might not see too much from her moving forward but i hope i'm wrong the end (laughs) the end um yeah, I mean, obviously tonight we our featured film is Tales of Surprisingly Fast Swimmers. The sort of titles that we just don't get here in the UK, um, or even like American sort of cinema. Although we what we've had that recent Potato Peel Society or something, some nonsense like that. Yeah, I, I, I've seen the name, but it means nothing. Yeah, the sort of the sisterhood of the yah yah underpants kind of thing, isn't it? I mean, the other thing about this film, there's not much turtle swimming going on of a fast or slow nature, is there? So I'm, I, I kind of thought maybe it's been mistranslated, but I don't think it has. No. Um, yeah, it's certainly a, an unusual title, but then again, this is certainly an unusual movie, to say the least. Um, basically, it follows... Uh, if it was uh, why can I not get the words out this evening? Okay, let's try this again. If it was Suzumi Sparrow uh, Katakuri, played by our lady at the moment, uh, Jiri Yuna, who is this sort of average uh, young woman. She lives in a very normal sort of existence. Uh, she's At the moment, her day consists of her caring for her husband's pet turtle, who... He constantly phones every day just to check on her, on the turtle, but not her. So she's like lives this life of uh, daydreams, which include throwing the turtle out the window in one certainly uh, surprising moment, shall I say, to start with. And this is this turtle for some reason has also been given an interesting paint job on its shell. So it really sets the tone for the film um, going forward and. Basically, she's feels that she's trapped in a in a sort of mundane existence, and she sort of longs to live the life that her free spirited best friend Peacock has, who has got all these grand ambitions of moving to Paris and marrying a Frenchman, and through a series of series of sort of like chance um, events, she finds herself coming across a tiny little advert. I mean, this is the size of a postage stamp that someone has posted on the steps of her sort of, like, route home every day. Um, and it's a little advertisement recruiting spies. And when she phones the number, she finds herself caught up with this equally inconspicuous couple who are claiming to be sleeper spies for an unnamed foreign land that have been obviously uh, posted in the in this village and she finds herself uh, sort of drawn into the world as she's forced to go a number of tasks to prove herself um, to be a spy with them. This is certainly a unique, as we said already, this is a very unique film and one which I had 
some difficulty getting on with, uh, mainly because it starts off well and then seems to lose focus for its second half where it doesn't seem to know where it's going, um, as well as featuring several characters who were not so much unnecessary but just kind of grating to be around. Uh, but, Stephen, I mean, what did you sort of make of Turtles of Surprisingly Fast Swimmers? Okay, I actually hadn't seen it before. I thought I had, but I hadn't. I think what we have to do, we have to put it into context. <laughs> so Japan, um, those of us with a cinematic bent, we see, or, or filmic bent, and we've already talked about the extreme pornography, um, but we're used to weird and hyper-violent films, aren't we? Um, and, and, and strange stuff. So the films of Takashi Maiki, Sion Sono, and so on and so forth. In, in terms of modern Japanese cinema. And what we have to remember is Japan and Japanese people are on the whole an incredibly conservative and shy and um, conformist nation. They don't do crazy things on the whole. A very small percentage of them do. And that's what this film's about. There's that film's about actually the weird shit which might be going on behind closed doors <laughs> and it's about hopefully inspiring people to sort of break out from behind that conservative and shy uh, sort of cover that Japanese people have on themselves um, and so we, again when we talked about some of those films that were available from Third Window they, they, they've picked up on this there's sort of these quirky people these strange comedies and oh my god it's bright and colourful isn't it I said all that about being conservative and shy and this film is is blaring with colour I mean it's it's not, it's not quite as colourful as Memories of Matsuko but it's getting there um, what I felt about it was I thought it was a fantastic collection of sketches um, a little bit surreal almost British actually in some ways it felt a bit like a 70s sort of British comedy film very episodic I didn't really think it hung together very well both entertained and disappointed if that makes sense yeah um i know it, know what you mean there's certain there's certain elements of this film which i really enjoyed i mean i i enjoyed like her her just her following her around this this village and how she chooses to view her her sort of life existence such as she's supposed to meet her friend peacock and of course peacock being the flamboyant free spirit that she is, is of course late. So she goes and buys a skipping rope and just starts skipping for two hours. It's apparently seems so she's uh, observes this woman who spends her day feeding the ants, known as the was it the ant hag, I believe she calls her, that, or the bench that's hag. Right. Bench hag. Um, and when you watch this, you can't help but feel that uh, the director uh, Satoshi um, Mike is trying in some ways to create uh, like a Japanese version of Amelie that sort of sort of like if you're in a world with like a, a, a very sort of like innocent and playful place but for a very at the same time a very sort of adult lens and that's why it's certainly the closest second comparison I could see and then obviously when we meet these two supposed spies it just sort of ground to a halt for myself because they're not particularly likable characters and at the same time they don't really do anything to convince you that what they're saying 
is true that they actually are spies um apart from the fact that they have her engaged in all these random sort of tasks such as the fact she has to go and buy like twenty dollars worth of inconspicuous shopping any sort of like tasks that they give her or sort of interactions such as like when she's taking part in the raffle and she's like hoping that she gets a a rubbish prize because if she gets like one of the top prizes uh then she'll be written up in the papers and they're trying to keep this low profile and you just see them peering over the over the wall and as i said every time they're on screen it just felt like the film was sort of being grinded to a halt by these two uh whereas whenever we have suzumi or peacock uh have those two characters interacting or such as like when you had the flashback to her childhood where she was hoping to uh see whether well, there's this sort of like blackout in the in the town and she got to see her sort of childhood crush in his pajamas and she says to peacock that she really wanted to see that again so peacock goes and shorts out the pow- the uh the power to the the village again just so she can make it happen for her friend those are the moments i really enjoyed but so the the actual main plot the sort of spy um plot that we we sort of sign up for is sort of the most least interesting part of the film in many ways for me so that's interesting you said you didn't like the um the spy masters because I really love them. <laughs> um, actually, the, the, the female, Eri Fuse, she's actually the wife of the director, Satoshi Miki, and she's quite a famous um, Japanese comedian. And I really enjoyed that bit. But I guess the point is, is that they're not really... <laughs> it's, it's, it's almost everything's flipped on its head. They're not really being spies. They're kind of teaching her how to be a good Japanese person. I don't draw attention to yourself. Do yeah. really, really bland and things. Do, you know, don't... don't 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 become some kind of loud star even though she's dressed in this world in, in this showy way in this world she's doing nutty things <clears throat> and you know it's kind of sad because her friend peacock who actually is a bit of an outlier isn't she and she is a bit of a hey look at me and does crazy things and she has a pretty tragic end <laughs> where she ends up in prison and so i'm not too sure if if the director is telling japanese people you should step out of this and become more visible or actually you know it's much better if you just stay quiet and um don't draw attention to yourself so i think that's where i really struggle with it is that it really i never really know what point it's trying to make and none of these these vignettes all sort of come together don't they? these characters all mm. sort of end up together and some of them their their madness has been hidden like we have the ramen chef who makes really medical ramen <laughs> but, turn, <laughs> but turns out he keeps some really good stuff for himself and i'm just saying <laughs> but he's been one of the spies all along another guy that runs a shop um is actually an assassin for the philippine army or something like that <laughs> and 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 the next door neighbor is in love with him the the, the another guy that's uh, but nothing really goes and 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 just seems to be there's there's all these sort of crazy characters and i think we can have a good old giggle if we just talked about every single one of them but i'm not really sure how it fits together or what the director's actually trying to say about it other than it's just a bit quirky exactly i mean i kept waiting for something to happen with this this whole spy plot but it never really happens um we have all this have all these hints that they're getting fed information from some unknown source um but the, there's never any sort of threat to it there's never any high drama which you'd expect from some 
for the spy thriller, but it never seems to happen. You just spend a lot of time waiting for things to happen which don't. I mean, we have a a body that's dragged up in the nets, but that ultimately is played to sort of nil. And yeah, I think. I mean, who you obviously used to mention about Peacock and her obviously her ending where she's in prison. It's kind of like that, uh, kind of like Forrest Gump in a way, in that uh, if you do, you know, if you conform to the rules, if you follow the system, like Forrest does, then you're rewarded. Whereas if you are like Jenny in that film and you break the rules and you, you know you you enjoy life and embrace the your stride, then you will be punished and you will certainly in the case of Forrest Gump you will die horribly so it um it seems to be very much the case of uh for Peacock that you know she as you said she's the flamboyant one she's the the one who's out there willing to break rules and and go against the sort of like this traditional view of what uh, it is to be a good uh, sort of Japanese person following the traditions and rules um, and that's why she ends up in prison at the end so yeah but... and, and that was <laughs> the other one the other bit that really did actually make me laugh out loud and I did laugh out loud at lots of this was that the, 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 you mentioned the high school crush which she got to see in his pyjamas a couple of times back in the past and she bumps into him in a later in later in modern times <laughs> And it turns out he goes into the place they're in eating and, and it's, oh my God, it's my old crush. And there's his wife and there's his kid. And him and his kid have both got these really sort of weird haircuts. And then it turns out his haircut is is a wig. And actually he's bald. But his kid has still got hair exactly the same as his dad's bald wig. It's just like, um, it's just all fabulous. But I don't understand what the point was is it trying to tell you you shouldn't think about the past because the past is always a much nicer place than um than it would be today i mean uh, this is yeah i I wanted to be i wanted the film to be as positive as it's as the way it was made in terms of it it, its shininess and its colorfulness but actually I, i the more we talk about it, mate, the more I feel it's actually a really negative and constraining movie. And I'm sure that wasn't the point. I'm sure it's just not quite been executed correctly. Um, I mean, I think I was slightly missold on the, the cover note. Here we have a, a cover note from NipponCinema.com who proclaimed it, one of the funniest films I've seen in a long time. I think we may have been watching a different film. Because I kept waiting for the humour to happen, and I don't know whether it's just, as I said, I just don't get Japanese comedies or what, but it's you have random scenes such as um, such as the female spymaster, and she's there holding up this this cat pillow that uh, that our leaders obviously dared to sit on, thinking thinking that it's like a, a floor pillow, and she's holding up in in front of her, singing the song about this cat, and. I'm sure that this is probably the height of hilarity to its audience, but it just went completely over my head like so much of this film. Um, whereas, as I said, the moment, the bits that we have between Suzumi and Peacock, I found really funny, such as like when she goes and has her hair permed, um, just because she's bored. I thought that was that was pretty funny. Um, although it's kind of creepy the fact that she meets Sparrow, and they're talking about going for ramen. And the hairdresser seems to invite himself along as well. 
<laughs> and I thought, that's a little, little familiar. Do you mean the hairdresser who does sort of like solo disco dancing while he's waiting for her hair to dry? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think there are tons of brilliant bits. So, I do think I have the reason why the film's moments are like this. So, Satoshi Miki... He's made a few films now, but actually his background was writing for Japanese entertainment shows. And when you look at it in that regard, they are full of this shit. <laughs> There's a bit in the film where she um, sumo wrestles with her with her dad. Yeah, that could be ripped from some kind of Japanese Sunday night entertainment show. And it is like he's taken skits that he had prepared in his previous life and stuck them into a movie. Um, and, and that's the only way I can kind of mould this, this the, these, these disparate little comedic... I mean, I thought it was funnier than you did, obviously, because <laughs> I'm chuckling away to myself at each of these. But it wasn't a cohesive whole. It felt like absolutely like a variety show where there's these just sort of these this crazy stuff going on which is absolutely 180 degrees to actually how most japanese people are but clearly behind closed doors entertains them immensely i mean this is again is one of those films that you that we frequently encounter as asian cinema fans is the fact that you're trying to explain what a film is about and this one i had trouble like sort of like explaining any sort of semblance of a plot to it because it's not so much the fact that because the DVD seems to cover but it seems to say that you know she's suddenly becomes like a spy and she gets caught up with these two spy masters and and brings her into this life but it's really not not that and um as you said it's more just a case of just like a rant series of random moments sort of strung loosely together uh, and I think it's really sort of a credit to the sort of charms of uh, Jerry Yunro that she can make so many of these scenes so interesting um, such as like the opening flip book where she talks about her life or when she's like in the supermarket trying to find inconspicuous items and she compares what she buys to what she sees Peacock buying who she's like trying to hide from trying to be uh, inconspicuous with her shopping and she sees her buying like uh, like artichokes it's like oh that was a uh, that's obviously a good thing I didn't get those because they're much too flamboyant. And I never thought that artichokes were flamboyant until I saw this film, so... I think they're, vis- I think they're visually hilarious. And um, <laughs> maybe that's what they were going for. Compared to most vegetables, an artichoke, or certainly the globe artichoke, is a, it's an amusing thing. But, uh, yeah, I, I just wonder if we're from the wrong country to fully understand it all. Possibly, which could um, which could be a theme for this whole podcast. <laughs> it's, it, it's there's certainly something lost in translation um, here. Or maybe, but then again, there's some times I, I watch these films, and when you don't get, you just want to. Is it because I'm just not smart enough? Am I missing something here? Uh, but no, I don't. Yes. I don't think it's that deep. I think this is uh, this is this is playing on sort of that 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 Japanese that 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 dichotomy of Japanese society, of the conservative shy society, with this wackiness, which is also expressed in the pornography, it's also expressed in the sort of violent films that you and I have, have watched plenty of. Yeah. Um, and I think it's I think it's worthwhile. I don't, I don't regret watching it for a minute. Am I going to go back and watch it again, even though I loved Yuri Ueno? I'm not so sure. I am sure I'm not going to. 
Uh, well, I've watched it twice in as many weeks, so... And I, would, I think on the second time, I was hoping that something would click with me that I didn't get on the first time. And no, it's it pretty much was still the same experience, which I was kind of a bit disappointed because sometimes you watch something once and you, you perhaps don't get it, and then you watch it the second time and it, it all sort of falls into place, or it, you, ha- you go in knowing what to expect. And certainly I was hoping for that it would perhaps improve the experience for myself, but I didn't uh, unfortunately get that with this. It was a sort of very middle-of-the-road experience, and even though it's like 90 minutes long, it did feel like it dragged on a bit longer than than uh the 90 minutes yeah I'd, I'd, I'd agree with that i i was i was checking my watch thinking aren't we further along through this than we should be because it lacked it lacked a cent- it lacked a real central core narrative that went anywhere i mean i can i can i can say well it wasn't really a spy film you shouldn't be expecting anything to happen but nothing happened <laughs> it, it, it just it, it just felt it was a collection of amusing vignettes thrown together and you know, I'm glad Miguel yeah. was in it, but um, and I thought she was the best thing about it. But uh, and I think it sort of says everything I was saying about them. You know, she's quirky but kind of realistic. She's not a comedian, is she? She's um, she's holding it together fairly straight-faced, um, whereas some of the wackier stuff is going on around her. I mean, we've seen films certainly in the West as well that for, which are essentially about nothing, but. They somehow don't leave you feeling so disappointed like this. I mean, such as like we look at uh, Sofia Coppola's Lost in Translation, for example, which is essentially really the ultimate film about nothing. It's just about two people in Japan trying to find themselves um, and connecting just through. I don't know if it's lack of options or the fact that they've got no one else who's they no one else uh, to really talk to or hang out with, but. That film is, as I say, it's, again, it's like this film, it's a series of random moments sort of strung together, but there certainly feels like there's more of a, a plot and certainly more something to hold on to, um, which uh, this film was just lacking. I, just kept, I just kept wanting that, just that small sliver of a plot to <laughs> carry me through. But it just never seemed to happen, and there was just no, there was no tension, there's no, there's no nothing. It's just, as I said, it's just... I think, as you you put it best, it's just like these random moments um, that are sort of put to, put together, and it somehow forms some semblance of a plot. But there's just the actual the film as a whole. I just found it for sort of more miss than hit for myself. It's it's not one I'm probably going to be rushing back to watch anytime soon. So yeah, I think we I think we're going to say solid fail all round, aren't we? <laughs> It was a. Uh, I think. Let me see. I I gave it a two point five on Letterbox, so that that's about where I am with it. So yeah, I'm, I'd give it a five out of ten. There's there's a lot to enjoy there, but it doesn't. It's it, it's it's. I'll remember a couple of the moments, but I wouldn't ever tell anyone to go and watch the film. Cool. Um, now comes the even more fun part of further viewing. What do you pair this with? Because I was stuck. Um, as to what I could even put this with, because I don't know whether it's just due to lack of uh, lack of experience with films of Japanese comedies, but I struggled to to find something to really sort of match this up with. Because certainly when we look at everything else that's been released and that we're exposed to as as Western fans of uh, of Asian cinema, it's 
um, it's kind of difficult because as you I mentioned earlier in this podcast, I mean, everything we sort of watch is even like violent gangster movies or martial arts or sort of uh, Hong Kong comedies. There's sort of very, while we think we have this broad range of uh, genres that we're being exposed to, it's actually when you break it down, sort of like these niche sort of genres that we uh, have the experience with. And certainly when you have something like this, which again, I think is to Fair Window Films credit, the fact that they're, that they're choosing to go for these sort of less travelled areas of, of Asian cinema um, it does obviously make it a little more difficult when you're trying to find something to compare it to uh, but I mean did you have anything you would match it up with? Well actually yeah I had quite a few <laughs> okay. because, but I think I think again this is maybe what I was hoping to bring to the podcast is probably my experience of films outside of the, of the, of the, of the horror and action genres anyway and I've already spoken about it because we talked about the third window catalogue so um, I'm gonna, I'd, I'd pair it with Kamikaze Girls which is um, like I say it's uh, it, it's this glorious colourful film um directed by uh tetsuya nakashima it stars kyoko fukada who actually you might see in other films as well as like a lolita fashion girl from a a small town in the middle of nowhere but she dresses up in these amazing i forget what she calls it but there's the you know what the lolita look is in japan not in the um, nabokov sense um (laughs) And and um, she meets up with uh, another girl who I think they call her Yankee, which is like a biker girl. It's played by Anna uh, Sochia. Um, and, and they form a friendship. But it's just this colourful, inventive um, thing. It's based on a novel. Um, the manga came of it. It's, it's just a, a fantastic-looking thing. I will say rather like this film i do wonder if the um the style beats the substance um it's not much happens in it but i assure you it's an assault to your visual senses and it will make your uh, sugar taste buds explode as well for myself i'm gonna go with the uh, film adaptation of norwegian wood uh this is directed by Anne hung tran and it's a adaptation of the novel by uh, Hirokari Murakami. Um, not to be confused with Ryu Murakami, who's something completely different. This is, as I said, it's a book, probably one of my one of my favourite books, and it's about this uh, this guy who's after hearing the Beatles song Norwegian Wood sort of flashes back to uh, Tokyo in the late 1960s where students are in a state of upheaval and uh, the main guy in Turo Wannabe his personal life is equally in sort of similar sort of turmoil and it's about his life in this sort of period and in particular the uh, young woman Naruko who was uh, de- who he's sort of involved with who at the same time was dating his now uh, deceased best friend so it's perhaps a little uh, heavier in tone uh, than, uh, than than this film but I felt, think if you're looking for sort of something sort of, uh, something to pair it with uh, then I think Norwegian Woods one certainly worth checking out um, So what you've done there you've picked an adaptation of a japanese novel 
<laughs> named after an English 60s song directed by a Vietnamese director starring the girl who will end up in Pacific Rim. So you've, <laughs> there's about 77 layers of connectivity between that film. I actually, yeah, I, I, I was, um, that's a film I want to revisit actually because I watched it when it came out and I was a bit disappointed because like you, it's one of my favourite books and I am just wondering if I just wasn't in the right place when I watched it before and I want to go back and see it again so maybe not the one i'd have paired it with but i see where you're coming from and um you've inspired me to go and rewatch. <laughs> i think it's the for myself it's the it's the real sort of flashbacks to the flashes between adult life and your sort of formative years and i think certainly norwegian would really does a great job of looking at those formative years the same way that when we look at tells the surprise and fast swimmers the fact that we have these flashes back to her various points of her childhood and certainly she's grown up with peacock and why she feels such dedication to always never saying no to peacock and the reasons behind that um that's the sort of uh my really sort of stretching it connection between the two that i'm gonna go with uh but yeah i think kamikaze girls is uh is certainly a great choice to to match it up with and one that i would definitely recommend checking out and i think one that we will be covering at some point on this show i, can I see think so i was just actually just inspired me there i mean haruki murakami is one of my favorite authors the fact he's japanese is 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 just coincidence actually but he's been very ill served by cinema adaptations of his work i mean norwegian wood is uh, i suppose here the wind sing also got it but you know although although there are little short films and things like that but it's surprising somebody an author with his uh, international fame and um sheer amount of books he's written have really uh, made it into the cinema world um i feel that when it comes to murakari's films the fact that they're so obviously Japanese in both their style and context. The fact that it makes them difficult to adapt for like like American cinema because it means you have to have an all Asian cast, which is something that they're probably bulk at, and no one really seems to have the creativity to sort of adapt them in the way that like um, High Fidelity was moved from London to Chicago. Um, any way to sort of transpose them, transpose them across, and that obviously, I it sort of it does for some reason hasn't inspired um, the studios in his home homeland to obviously uh, to make films of his books for some reason. No, it's really, it's really odd because you know he's probably <coughs> one of the top two or three biggest international authors. I know they're they're, they're they're serious novels as opposed to, say, genre ones. But when you look at someone like Keigo Hagashino, I mean, every single one of his bits of paper that he's ever written on has been converted into a film or a TV series, whether in Japan or elsewhere in Asia or South Korea. And um, whereas Murakami, um, that Murakami, has, um, <laughs> has been, um, with well, whoa, Murakami's had a few adaptations made i find it i find it remarkable a bit of an oversight but maybe it's something that'll change in the future yeah i mean right murakami i mean obviously we got audition uh which was uh direct was uh directed by takashi miike and is now sort of this notorious classic um and probably the film which helped really break him 
break him out break him out and really expose him to a lot of western audiences um i know that they've long since talked about doing coin locker babies i know that um asia argento was attached to it for the longest time but i don't know if that's ever going to come to screen same as like in the miser soup um another author who's been done a great disservice would be natsiro kirono who's um they adapted out which is a fantastic book but really kind of hit and miss film uh, that they made of that one so I don't know she's another author I feel that uh, her, her books are sort of primed to make great films of uh, but you know it's just yet to happen yeah I mean she's only done three or four books hasn't she but um, they're, they're, very, they're very cinematic I mean they're very yeah. they're, they're very genre but they're you know they're, they're, they're crying out for a for an adaptation and you think in japan they make films and tv shows of the most obscure um manga that <laughs> you know things that you would have even thought are ripe for adaptation um it's almost as if the novel is um is a lost art in japan and 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 not something that's viewed as being uh, ripe for adaptation because there aren't pictures to go with it to help storyboard it yeah and then when you finally do get something adapted like uh, like Battle Angel Alita, which is now finally coming to screen from uh, through Robert Rodriguez, James Cameron was umming and airing about making it for years and years and years, and now he's um, working with Rodriguez to finally bring it to screen. And of course, people are just now bitching and moaning bit the fact that it looks too uncanny valley for them because of uh, big the eyes, <laughs> the big eyes, which. I didn't. I. I mean, if you haven't pointed it out, I wouldn't realise it was an issue. But but I was excited by the trailer. Um, I think one of the few the few people were, since all I seem to hear about it whenever we mention Battle Angel Eater is just people complaining about how unhappy they are with how it looks. I I think it's um I think it looks great. But I'm sure it's going to be rubbish. Have <laughs> faith. It's Rodriguez. He's yeah. never done us wrong. He's he does mm. what he's doing. Mm, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, he needs I... a hit. He needs a hit so he can do the final machete. He does. He does. He does need a hit. And you know. And obviously, I'm not the um, committed to the source material. So I just thought that looked really interesting and a little yeah. bit different. And um, I think it's the people who are committed and feel like they have some kind of ownership over the over the original stuff, which are probably going to be most upset. But yeah, I mean, this brings us to uh, the end of another edition of the Asian Cinema Film Club. Thank you as always for listening, um, Stephen. It is obviously your pick for the next episode. Uh, what would you like to choose? Okay, well, you know, like I'm always the guy that says I don't watch anime. Yes, <laughs> you've mentioned it a couple of times. Well, I'm going to go for an animation. <laughs> so. A couple of years ago, um, a film, Your Name, was um, in the UK cinema. It's got brilliantly reviewed. Um, I think, you know, it's fairly popular and has since become the biggest box office animation ever, now beating out Spirited Away. And that was done, um, that was directed by a fella called Makoto Shinkai, who is, um, he's always lauded as the new Miyazaki 
which I think is a dreadful title to wear around anybody's neck. However, I've always really liked his films, so I'd like us to go back to his first film called The Place Promised in Our Early Days. Um, and if you haven't seen it, which I think it sounds like you hadn't, um, I'd like to take you on an animation trip. Okay. So uh, we're looking at some, some hybrid animation for the next one there, then? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's cool. Um, as I said, if you haven't done uh, already, uh, please do uh, hit the like, subscribe buttons, or leave us a review if you're listening to us on Podmanic or iTunes. Or if you're now obviously listening to the ThatMomentIn.com podcast network through Spotify, uh, which is available through just typing in ThatMomentIn. Uh, and uh, that should uh, obviously come up for you there. Um, full links are obviously available below. Uh, you can obviously still find our archive both on thatmomentin.com as well as our blog, which is asiancinemafilmclub.wordpress.com. And we are also on Facebook and Twitter as well. So plenty of ways to obviously get in touch with us. Let us know what you think of the show. Let us know reviews of... Uh, let us know uh, thoughts and films that we should uh, obviously be checking out on the show. Uh, we'd love to hear any feedback you wish to give us. Um, but... In the uh, meantime, um, please do obviously check out the podcast network at thatmomentin.com. Uh, plenty of exciting stuff currently happening on the other shows on Cinema Recall. They're currently looking at Ready Player One and Isle of Dogs, as well as uh, A Quiet Place. On TV Good Sleep Bad, they are going to be looking at Speed Racer and Jess Archer, as well as more recently, they have uh, just looked at both Snuffbox and the IT crowd, so uh, plenty of exciting things happening there. Whereas on Game Warp, they have just uh, got back from the BAFTA Game Awards 2018, um, with more indie sort of uh, interviews as well being conducted with Pandemonium Games who are, are talking about their side-scrolling shoot 'em up nuts so definitely plenty to uh, check out on there, there as well so uh, please do um, subscribe you know check us out on uh, Spotify and uh, check out the other shows on the network as well we appreciate the support uh, but thank you Stephen for joining me again for this latest romp through Asian cinema it's a pleasure as always and uh, we will be back. Uh, we will be back soon. Till uh, next time. Thank you for listening. Hey! 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 Kino